You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. 100.9 Tuscaloosa Sports Update. With your Tide Sports Update, I'm Jacob Harrison. To help mitigate the losses that SEC athletic institutions have suffered during the COVID-19 pandemic, the SEC has announced a $23 million distribution in supplemental revenue to its 14 schools. And Alabama basketball will be featured in a Thanksgiving Invitational in Orlando, Florida next season alongside Kansas, Dayton, Iona, Miami, Belmont, Drake, and North Texas. College football fans and players both want full stadiums this fall. That's what head coach Nick Saban said in a PSA encouraging Encouraging Crimson Tide fans to get their COVID-19 vaccines. Tonight, the Tuscaloosa Academy Knights will host Banks Academy and Escambia Academy for a spring jamboree. JV play begins at 5 p.m. and varsity begins at 6 p.m. For more details on these stories and more, check out the Tide 100.9 website or download the free Tide 100.9 app. This is Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports, Tide 100.9, and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. on your home for University of Alabama Athletics, Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network with you weekday mornings from 11 a.m. until noon. The show, as always, brought to you by Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa, and it is officially frozen chocolate dipped banana season out there at Peterbrook Chocolatier. Can't make it to say Disney World for the weekend. One of the lasting impressions from those youthful trips down to uh, to see the rat. You call him the rat when you get older, Mickey Mouse, because uh, he has a way of, of taking your cheese. You know what I mean? Uh, going to Disney World as a kid, those uh, frozen chocolate dip bananas when we'd go to Disney. Always look forward to those. Well, they got those for you right now at Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarlane Boulevard North. Joined on the program by the executive producer of SFS, Jacob Harrison. And together, we combine to form the 60 bit of Sports Talk Radio. What about a chocolate-dipped frozen banana on this Thursday morning? Jacob, how does that strike you? You know, I don't think I've had one one of those in at least twenty years. Uh, was it Disney? But it doesn't was sound it Disney. It, no, no, I never got one at Disney. I think it was you know, okay. just I don't know, but yeah. I, I, I would be interested in it. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's good. And you can get the uh, you can get accessories with those chocolate dip frozen bananas. They'll put a little few sprinkles on there for you. They got the toppings to go with those frozen chocolate dip bananas there at Peter Brook. You know, I feel like I deserve one, Jacob. I've already done the workout this morning. I put Stan the stent through his workout. He seems to have come through it pretty well. I know you are dying for a pull-up update after last Friday's program where we made that a focal a focal point of that program, the pull-up and how it is uh how it is so, such it takes on villain status really uh, at the gym. Uh, I am up to Jacob since you asked you asked, right? You did ask for this. I did. Uh, okay. All right. Um, I'm up to 10 assisted pull-ups in succession. 10 in a row. Now, those are assisted, okay? I'm going to go ahead and admit that. But that is up from seven last Friday, and that's two sets of 10. So I knew you wanted to know that. I knew the listeners were were really on the edges of their uh, – seats to get that information but that's kind of in the morning for yours truly also i'm immersed in pga championship coverage right now i'm watching the pro golf on the internet because espn espn getting the boys and girls with this first round coverage from kiowa island the ocean course the pete die classic over there in the charleston area the opening round of the 2021 PGA Championship, ESPN coming at you for those ESPN Plus bucks because that's about the only way you can uh, watch the coverage this morning. And they've got those feature groups out early on day one. So you've got Rory, you've got JT, you've got Brooks Kepka playing together. You've got Bryson DeChambeau out on the course early. So they're making some more money at the Worldwide Leader, getting those signups for ESPN Plus so you can watch the coverage. I'm just about cordless at this point. Just about uh, wireless, I guess it is. Have I cut the, I guess it's, I've cut the cord. That's how they refer to that these days. I'm just about there, Jacob. I'm thinking YouTube television with uh, ESPN Plus and then a few add-ons maybe. Where are you at with the cable, Jacob? Are you still cabled up? Are you wireless? What are you, what are you looking like? I have cable through Xfinity, but I use that to watch to stream everything else digitally, yeah. and and I still I stick with Netflix and Disney Plus for the most part anyway. So uh, that and ESPN Plus. So thanks to the Rat again. I think that's a perfect nickname for him. <laughs> you know, I think I heard I first heard coin that phrase. It was probably probably the ever so sentimental pops. Probably when I was a kid, refer to. Mickey Mouse, probably when I was seven or eight, as the rat. Yeah, but wise uh, beyond his years at that point. Then <laughs> Pop doesn't like to separate himself from the cash, you know. And the rat had a way of getting his cheese back in the day. Growing up in Northeast Florida, we'd make that little two and a half hour drive down there, and off off the money would come from Pops. I don't think he enjoyed that. Two zero five three four two. 9904. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line. If you'd like to jump on board with us on a Thursday morning, you are more than welcome to do so. We have got a special guest coming up, by the way, in the very next segment with NCAA regional play getting underway. And of course, Tuscaloosa being home to one of those regionals again. It's just an every year occurrence, right? 
it took a pandem- pandemic for crying out loud to sort of break the Alabama streak or the Alabama dominance as a staple in the regional round as a host. But Michelle Smith, you've seen Michelle. She does an outstanding job on ESPN's coverage of college softball. Also, by the way, just a two-time Olympic gold medalist, Michelle Smith, former standout at Oklahoma State. Uh, You hear her on ESPN. She's been to Rhodes Stadium many, many times. We're going to get Michelle Smith's thoughts on softball regional play. Michelle tells me she is in Gainesville this weekend. She'll be at the uh, the the Gainesville Regional uh, covering Florida and the, the four teams down there, but certainly a wealth of knowledge and insight when it comes to Michelle Smith, so we look forward to talking to her. Coming up in about seven or eight minutes or so, you also, of course, big series in Tuscaloosa tonight on the baseball diamond as Alabama welcomes the bullies of Mississippi State. The maroon and white from MSU making that short drive over 82 for a three-game series that gets underway at 6 p.m. First pitch set for 6 p.m. this evening at the Joe. Alabama at 12-14 and 14 in the league could really stand to win a series at home here to cap the regular season. We'll see how it goes. Very motivated Mississippi State team, as we've talked about throughout the week, after dropping two of three at Duty Noble Field last week of all places to the league's worst team in Missouri. So Mississippi State still in the hunt for that SEC regular season crown, still right there in the hunt where the SEC West is concerned, kind of become a rival there in the West with Arkansas and Mississippi State, LSU typically in that mix, not so much this year. For the Tigers, but Alabama playing for its postseason life coming up this weekend in Tuscaloosa. 205-342-9904. We'll probably get into some football talk, I'm sure, at some point in the program. Working on those position diaries for BamaOnline.com. I'm into the interior offensive line. Had the wide receiver position for you yesterday at BOL. The position diary, what we do is throughout the course of the offseason and leading up to the season, we take you from January, February, and then we update position by position. Then we get post-spring, say April, May, maybe a little bit into next month as we head down the backstretch of the month of May now. And we go pre-spring, post-spring, early stages of fall camp. We sort of track positions almost quarterly, I guess you could say there at BamaOnline.com. That's what we're doing post-spring right now. And again, we just did the wide receiver position asking the question as we have here, where is the explosiveness going to come from with Devontae Smith moving on, with Jalen Waddell moving on? Yes, John Mechie can certainly give you some of that as we've seen mostly during the 2020 season. But who's going to be the other guy or guys that help you maintain that explosiveness that you've grown accustomed to at the wide receiver position? I do think, I really do think, as much as there's going to be questions about Bryce Young in his first year as the starter at Alabama, I think his skill set is going to help facilitate some explosive plays via, via extended plays. And he's not a guy who extends plays primarily for the sake of running the football. 
Bryce Young has shown you he'll extend plays to get himself in position like he did on the explosive to Roydell Williams early in the spring game so he can make throws down the field. I think that's going to help get some guys maybe open on some plays where it gets off script a little bit. It's not going to have to be, I guess I'm saying, as much on script as perhaps it's been the last three years with Bryce Young behind center. I'll tell you another place where Bryce Young's going to help you. And this ties into looking at the interior offensive line here in the last day or so for Alabama for the 2021 season. He can do some things subtly. You know, we talked a lot about Mac Jones in that regard. Not necessarily Michael Vick by any means, but Mac could navigate a pocket instinctively and then still you know, get himself in a good spot to deliver the football down the field. Bryce Young can do that too. Go back and watch the spring game and watch the touchdown pass to Kamla too. And you've got Damian George working at right guard and he gets beat on a slanting quick up the field pass rush by early enrollee Michael Goodwine. And Bryce sort of just very subtle and he makes what he does is on the play, he makes Damian George right because Damian George gets beat off the snap, but to Damian George's credit, he stays with it and sort of just gets enough on Goodwine that allows Bryce Young, who is instinctive in the pocket, to just take that slight right step up into the pocket. And then he delivers a nice strike. To Cameron Latou, he had a bust on the back end of the Alabama secondary, so that helped. But uh, just some examples of maybe how Bryce Young's going to help in that regard in a couple different ways. Real quick, let's go to Corey on the Peter Brook Chocolatier studio line. We got Michelle Smith coming up here in just a minute or two. Corey, how you doing? Hey Travis, how you doing this morning? Good, good man. Did you say you're gonna? Did you say you're gonna have Michelle Smith on? Yep, we're going to her in just a couple minutes here. What do you got? I have a question you I would like for you to ask her if you don't mind. I got you. What do you got? Can you ask her how long can Montana Fouts go in this tournament? Like, cause I think it takes 10 games at minimum to, to win the national title. Like, like how much support does she need? Like from Alexi Kilfo or, or um, Crystal Goodwin? Cause I understand in today's, Softball, you can't just win with one pitcher. Uh, she, she's a former pitcher herself. That's right. Like, like how, how long can Montana Phelps really go in this tournament before she needs help and from behind her and in, in, in her in her opinion? I will definitely. Uh, we will ask her that. No doubt about it. Because when you agree, she can't just win ten games all by herself. Well, I think the biggest problem, yeah, is you, you look at a, a potential trip to Oklahoma City and let's say you lose early in OKC and now you're you're trying to throw her all the way back up the hill. And that's where I would think against elite competition, especially that could be really, really tough. But we'll ask her that and a few other things coming up here in just a minute, Corey. Yeah, and this Clemson, this Clemson team, I know, I know you'll get into that with her, but this Clemson team is no joke. And uh, Valerie Cagle's the real deal, and I know that'll probably be a Fouts versus Cagle uh, matchup, and I guess you'll discuss the matchups in there, but in 100% capacity and all that. But this will be a good region, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. 
And we'll talk to Michelle about that and a whole lot more coming up in just a minute. Thanks, Corey. Good talk to you, Travis. Roll Tad. There he goes. Corey checking in. He's fired up for that Tuscaloosa Regional cranking up tomorrow there at Road Stadium. Going to talk with Michelle Smith, the VSPN two-time Olympic gold medalist. When Southern Fried Sports returns on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon, partly to mostly sunny, the high 85. For tonight, fair with the low at 63. Heat levels continue to rise tomorrow and Saturday. The sky's sunny both days. The high tomorrow, 88. The high Saturday, 91. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 79 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. It's a real treat now to go to the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line and check in with a two-time gold medalist. And, of course, you've heard and seen Michelle Smith on ESPN's tremendous softball coverage. Of course you have. Now we talk with hey. Michelle right now. Michelle, how are you? I'm good. Travis, how are you doing? I'm glad to be with you. We are great, and I understand that you are going to be in SEC country this weekend, but it won't be Tuscaloosa. That is correct. I'm going to be calling the Gainesville Regional. Um, looking forward to that. I'm actually looking forward to, to watching everything as much as I can, one eye on the field and one eye on uh, how everybody else is doing. <laughs> I know, right? Laptops, televisions, telephones, tablets, you name it. You're going to have the coverage just about every way uh, you can consume it. I know I'm going to be very much the same way. And I want to obviously talk to you about this Tuscaloosa Regional and starting with Alabama specifically, just a team that really a month, month and a half ago just continued to be hit with a lot of adversity uh, via injuries, also has dealt with some COVID protocol situations. And uh, just your thoughts on on how this team has not only managed that, but has been dominant in, in winning 13 games in a row and here most recently the SEC tournament. Yeah, you know, just resiliency. You know, I, I love the fact that uh, head coach Patrick Murphy um, always trains a really complete team, always has people in line ready to go should someone go down with an injury. And obviously that happened multiple times this year. Uh, they had the COVID you know, issue, as you mentioned, that they had to, had to get through. Um, you know, it, it's just a team that knows how to perform. 
uh, high level of expectation. And I love the way that the coaching staff, Coach Murphy basically said, uh, we're going to run the table. After that, that loss, those two losses to Florida, they said, that's it. We're going to run the table. We're going to win every game from here on out. And they have. They've won those 13 games. Now, I'm assuming that Coach Murphy is hoping that his table's another, uh, let's say, 10 feet long for 10 more wins <laughs> here in the postseason. But, um, you know, I, this is a team that's figured themselves out and recreated themselves. Uh, you know, watching Bailey Hemphill go after the home run record, uh, you know, she struggled for a bit. And then ha- how about her timing? She breaks out at home at the SEC tournament. But this is a team that has figured out if we need to go station to station. We use our speed. They've got great arms in the circle. And, you know, there's just a way that they, they have this ability, innate ability to be able to win and are just very resilient. You're a former world-class player, world-class pitcher. So your perspective on Montana Fouts uh, we we are excited to get because you know to to us it's it's been dominant. There's no doubt about it. But could you give us some perspective on what you think she's done uh, and how she goes about doing it? When you look at some of the all-time greats, maybe Monica Abbott of Tennessee and and some of the pitchers from the past that have just been so dominant at her her spot. Yeah, well, obviously she's got the the right build and the right makeup for it. She's tall. Uh, she's hungry. She likes to be very exact about her pitches, her mentality, and and she she works hard. You know, she's got a a, a great dad that that will catch her and and work work with her. Great pitching staff that will uh, excuse me, great great pitching coach that will work with her. And I think the biggest thing about Montana Fouts is that she's got tools, but she's so young yet, and we just have to sometimes remind ourselves that she's young she's going to keep developing she needs to keep developing she's going to have to learn new pitches um keep the ball on the edges and i think if she can really develop an out pitch so an outside pitch to lefties into righties mostly running away from lefties and then an off-speed pitch that she can use a little bit more as unstoppable as she is now she will truly be unstoppable um, and, and hard to beat in the future. But she's just she's just as a, a great kid right now, um, and uh, and I think that's the thing that I'm most excited about. Obviously, this Alabama team with Lexi Kilfoyle pretty much out for an extended stretch here, and uh, Crystal Goodman is has been solid, uh, is sort of that next starter up. But uh, as we saw in the SEC tournament. You know, this team goes essentially as far as it seems Montana Fouts can pitch it. It's a, it's a good team. Don't get me wrong. You said it. The other uh, other players have stepped up. Bailey Hempel is a superstar. Um, but just looking at pitching in today's game, is it – and one of our callers, Corey, asked us to, to touch on this with you. Is it – how realistic is it to think that Alabama can just be exclusive with Montana Fouts – throughout the postseason does, does another does a second pitcher need to emerge at least at least in a complimentary type role um obviously it would be helpful and if it's not a pitcher in the circle then then the other the other uh staff member that needs to emerge is going to be the offense and putting up a lot of runs for Montana. So, so to me that's really going to be the advantage of the teams that maybe have one arm is the ones that can put a lot of runs up on the board. And so that offense almost becomes part of their defense. And I think for 
you know, if you look at Crystal Goodman and, and Lexi Kilfoyle, if, if they can even just give a couple of innings, it's going to help Montana out. But then the conundrum starts of if you've got other pitchers in the circle, how warm does Montana have to be? Because you don't want her wearing herself out in, in bullpens, right? So it's that, it's that decision of is she going to maybe actually even do less pitching in the circle than she would in the bullpen trying to stay warm in case she has to go in? Um, I think if I think if Alabama stays in the winner's bracket, if a Washington with only a Gabby Plain stays in the winner's bracket, I, I think it, mm-hmm. it makes your push a lot deeper into the postseason, obviously through regionals, super regionals, and into the Women's College World Series. And, um, and, and that's really what teams should focus on. If you have an ace and they're, they're healthy, that's the big thing. If they're healthy and then you have an offense that's putting runs up on the board, I, I think you could go through with one arm. And that kind of leads into early round play. You're you're going to see it with with Florida this weekend, and I think the Gators are hosting South Florida in, in their opening round game uh, in Gainesville. But uh, in Tuscaloosa, you're going to have Alabama State, Alabama tomorrow evening, and coaches are different, as we know, and how they go about laying out pitching. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that try to draw too many correlations maybe between other sports and softball. Uh, but how would you foresee those type of matchups? And in knowing the pitching situation at, say, Alabama, do you just drop the hammer even against Alabama State when Montana fouts in game one? Or are you open to maybe one of your other pitchers going in that first first game and maybe you know keeping Montana a little bit fresh until you – you're supposed to get to that second round, I guess. Yeah, those, those are always are tough questions. But, you know, the, the biggest key to regionals is you have to win game one. And mm-hmm. so I think I almost think you have to use Montana and hope that your offense can put some big numbers up and, and maybe it's a, it's a, a five-inning game. Um, you know, the other thing that I, I think is an advantage for Coach Murphy and for Alabama is the fact that uh, you, you, obviously you're going to have Clemson in game two. Um, Montana throws better as she goes along, you know, and we, and we've seen her do that, not just, uh, this weekend at the SEC tournament, but in an SEC play, she's typically strong, just as strong or stronger in game three of the series as she was in game one of the series. And we just saw her at the SEC tournament for three days consecutively. So I think she's in great shape. I think she has the ability to do it. I do think though, the more the offense and the defense can help her out and try to make shortened games and make as many plays as possible. It will be an advantage uh, the longer the longer we go into the tournament. Talking with Michelle Smith, two-time Olympic gold medalist, and of course, top analyst for ESPN coverage of college softball. Michelle, we heard from the NCAA yesterday going to allow for 100% capacity in the softball regionals in baseball postseason play, and now that's going to be tied into local and state guidelines uh, with the the in, the capacity hike, um, gosh, I, I guess uh, that, that that potentially takes places like Road Stadium and uh, Katie Seashell Presley Stadium, where you're going to be, and places like that to a level we just haven't experienced here in a couple of years. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be so exciting, and it's going to be so exciting for the players and the teams. I'm I'm just so happy that we're we're at this point and, um, you know, the public still needs to be very diligent and hopefully people are, you know, getting their vaccines if they're, you know, if that's truly what they believe in. And, and, uh, you know, I know that I'm good to go. So I hope that 
people just continue to to embrace that we've come a long way and uh, you know we still have a long way to go but i'm i'm so happy that we're at the point where people realize that being outside and being able to gather it, it is okay and we can be confident in that so it, it yeah my i was doing cartwheels not figuratively <laughs> um not <Absolutely>. literally um, <laughs> um yesterday when i heard that news it's just it's, it's great news for baseball and softball as we look at this field as a whole, and there's Oklahoma at 45 and two is the number one seed. And we reached a point in terms of parity in college softball where it's not Oklahoma in the field. As great as Oklahoma is, um, obviously you still have Alabama as a three seed. Um, you know the Pac-12 presence in general, UCLA, uh, you know Arizona. Uh, Arizona State is a top 16 seed. Arizona is 11. Uh, Washington still uh, prominent in the field from the Pac-12. Is it? How do you view this thing playing out? Just just from the very early stages. Is it? Do you have to almost pick Oklahoma, or, or do you think this thing could go a number of different ways? Um, I, I think it could go a number of different ways. I do think Oklahoma is the team to beat because of their offense. And, you know, it's interesting because they really haven't even gone into a, a, a little bit of a slump. You know, even great offenses typically at some point won't always be firing at all cylinders. And, and that has not happened to that team this year. It, with, you know, for Patty Gasso and company, they're obviously hoping it doesn't show up now. Um, I think that they've got a, a tough regional, and then if you, if they advance through and Washington advance through, that's an interesting super regional. But, you know, I think every team has to take care of business, and anyone can beat anyone on any given day. I think that maybe the eight teams that do arrive in Oklahoma City will be um, – it might be the toughest field of, of eight teams ever getting there, just um, based on how much talent we do have throughout the country. But, you know, I, I do really feel like Washington could give Oklahoma – uh, everything that they can handle in a super regional tournament when you've got a Gabby Plain in the circle. Uh, whoever whoever faces Oklahoma is going to have to be fearless. So you cannot go into that game afraid of their offense because the second you do that, you throw pitches over the plate, you get weak in the arm, you know, bad mistakes happen, free passes happen, and, and that's how Oklahoma will, will capitalize. They're just really good at making adjustments. Um, you know, they have a very unique hitting style where they're, they're inside out the ball quite a bit, even, on, on, even when they're stepping way in the bucket. You know, they just allow the ball to travel deep into the zone. Um, so it, it is going to be very, very interesting, but I do feel like uh, Oklahoma is going to have to take care of business. They're going to have to use that offense because their pitching is good, but it's not great. As we let you go here, Michelle, I know I'm excited. I know you're very excited about, I guess it's bittersweet, though, the, the return to, of softball in, in the Olympics uh, for Japan this summer. Um, obviously, the popularity of the sport with the host nation there, a big part of this. But uh, as I said, I, I guess bittersweet in a way in that it's apparently uh, a one-time return for now, at least, for softball at, at the Olympic level. Yeah, it is unfortunate that we won't be in Paris in 2024. Uh, hopefully we'll be back, obviously, on the program in 2028 in L.A. But, um, you know, the sport continues to grow around the world. It continues to get stronger around the world. And that's the thing that we need to, to continue to focus on as a sport, educate the IOC and the European members that this is a, a valid sport that young girls 
plate all around the world, and, and therefore it needs to be embraced. But, yeah, it, it is dis- disappointing on many different levels. We should have never been out of the Olympics in the first place, and that's a whole other political uh, <laughs> uh, conversation that we could have to talk hours about. Um, but yeah, we're in for Tokyo. It's been a long wait. It's been a hard year with COVID and everything that, you know, but I- I'm just excited to see those athletes step on the field, represent our, the, you know, their countries. Where it's going to be six strong teams and, um, and finally back getting the recognition at the world stage that the sport deserves. Absolutely. Michelle, we can't thank you enough for joining us on the program. Uh, really enjoy you, Beth, the rest of the great coverage uh, there at ESPN. Have a great call down in Gainesville, and hopefully we'll we'll connect again soon. Yeah, I look forward to it, and good luck uh, to the Tide this weekend. Thanks so much, Travis. There she goes, Michelle Smith, two-time Olympic gold medalist, outstanding player collegiately at Oklahoma State. Really appreciate Michelle breaking down some college softball with us on a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Back with more of the show right after this. You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you weekday mornings from 11 a.m. until noon. Thanks again to Michelle Smith. Outstanding commentary on college softball from the two-time Olympic gold medalist. Of course, one of the central figures in the coverage of the sport from ESPN. PGA Championship underway over at Kiowa Island in the Charleston, South Carolina area. The Ocean Course. Ocean Course playing pretty tough, man. Our boy JT, he's plus three through 12. He started on the back nine. He roars and Kepka. Justin Thomas, Rory McElroy, Brooks Kepka playing in a feature group. And started out well enough for JT. He's one under through his first seven holes. Then he goes bogey on 17, the par three. And then follows up with a double on the very difficult par four 18th hole there at Kiowa Island. Playing dead into the wind, 18 today. Watching some of the coverage earlier you got people, I mean, you got these big pros, not DeChambeau. DeChambeau was able to get in with an iron on his approach. But you had a lot of dudes on 18 for their second shot on a par four, hitting three woods back into that wind. And wayward tee shot on number 18 for JT. Got a little greedy with that second, trying to lay it up from a bunker. Didn't work out so well, and so... He plays his eighth and ninth holes of the round in three over to drop to two over for the day. 
And then on his back nine on the par five second hole, a bogey on the par five there. That's never good. Got to take advantage of the par fives. He's one over through three par fives so far in his round. And he is currently playing the par four fourth and uh, been a little bit left with the tee shots today, JT. I don't think it's been the putting as much. You know, he went into the event really struggling with the short stick, but watching him earlier, he had the lefts going early. He was able to sort of overcome that, played a brilliant tee shot on the par three 14th, 238 yards, and ended up making a 20-footer for birdie there. So it was, again, a promising start for JT. Still a lot of golf to go, and, and as we said, there, nobody's out there. Uh, there's no rabbits this morning in the first round of the PGA Championship. And you can only imagine, with the wind blowing like it was earlier, What's it going to be like for that afternoon wave? Martin Laird currently at three under through 15, tied for the lead, along with Keegan Bradley and Englishman Tom Lewis. So a three-way tie right now for the top spot in the opening round of the 2021 PGA Championship. Alban Tiger, Jason Duffner up there at minus two. In a tie for fourth, Duffner, of course, a former PGA champion, Keegan Bradley. Wasn't it Duffner and Bradley in a playoff at Atlanta Athletic Club one year? That senior memory gets to me from time to time, but I believe that was the case several years ago. Uh, Colin Morikawa, your defending champion with the PGA championship. He's two under through 12. Golf course playing difficult. You know it was going to be the case. Ricky Fowler, a pretty good story early. He's obviously had his struggles playing in the event with a special invite. Ricky Fowler, one under through 17. Anything in red figures today is probably going to have you top 20 for sure. You're going to be top 20 for sure if you're in red figures because you get to even par and one over and, you know, Roy – struggling in his own right. Give Brooks Kepka a lot of credit. He doubled his first hole and has gotten it back to even par for the day. So he's sort of grinding it out. Rory at plus two in that group with JT playing the 14th hole. Bryson DeChambeau, defending U.S. Open champion at plus two through 12. And again, this is an event that has been moved from the back end of the major championship schedule to the number two spot there between the Masters and the U.S. Open. And it's also a spot where the players sat for a number of years. The players, or the TPC as it was called in my youth, um, that was that was forever an early season event. It was March, and then it moved to May. And now the PGA has moved to May and the TPC or the players has moved back to March. I think it's a win for both those tournaments making the moves. And you think about when the PGA championship used to be contested late in the schedule, you're getting into football season, you're getting into the stretch run for say baseball got swallowed up a little bit 
And it's obviously the fourth major anyway. But better chance to be uh, more prominent uh, in the eyes of sports fans, I think, playing it in May. Obviously, you get into some maybe NBA playoff talk. How about LeBron last night? Wasn't that all of 30-foot, that heave for three to get the Lakers past the Golden State Warriors in that play-in win? Last night, wow, hell of a shot. Uh, But I I like the PGA up at this point. I think for the folks in Jacksonville, in that area of Northeast Florida, I think they like the players in March a little more comfortable in terms of weather. You play that tournament, again, in Northeast Florida in mid-May, you don't know what you're going to get. Now, I think this year you would have worked out just fine in terms of the weather. But there are years in that Jacksonville area where it can get uh, into the 90s real quick in the month of May. So probably a win, I would say, for both those events in making those moves on the golf calendar. Going to take another break when we come back. Some Crimson Tide football talk, among other things, when Southern Pride Sports returns here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon, partly to mostly sunny, the high 85. For tonight, fair with the low at 63. Heat levels continue to rise tomorrow and Saturday. The sky's sunny both days. The high tomorrow, 88. The high Saturday, 91. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 79 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. I was born in the wagon of a traveling show. My mama used to dance for the money they'd throw. Mama would do whatever he could. Today we celebrate the catalog of Sherilyn Sarkeesian, born on this day in 1946. I am a true Southern gentleman, so I will not tell you what that comes out to in terms of her uh, age. I'll let you try to figure that out. But uh, when I see the name Sarkeesian for Cher, you know what I immediately begin to think, right, Jacob Harrison? 
Any relation to Steve? And I did my research because I know that's the type of information, Jacob, that folks come to this program for. It's where we really fit fill the void, right? And based on what I could sort of Google and find, he is not related. Steve Sarkeesian and uh, Cher, not related. So now you can go about your day and clear thought, clarity of mind on this Thursday. So something else we're seeing here in the sports world here in the last uh, little bit is this continued buzz that Julio Jones could be on his way out in Atlanta. According to Jeff Schultz of The Athletic, the Falcons would like to trade Julio Jones. And among the potential suitors that Schultz mentions, the Ravens, the Niners, the Patriots, the Colts, the Chargers, and the Tennessee Titans. Understanding, Jacob Harrison, that your Stillers are not in that mix, which of those teams would you like to see Julio Jones end up with? I'm going to guess uh, that we can we can erase the, the Ravens from your list because that would be a divisional deal there. Yeah, it sure is LA Baltimore. <laughs> so so where would you like to see Julio if it's if it's that mix of teams? Um, I, I like the idea of. Uh... Of the Panth, uh, not the Panthers, the the Patriots and the Titans. The the Patriots yeah. just because you know they've got all those big tight end weapons and to to throw him in there with with Cam Newton for now and Mac Jones later, I think that would pay off really really well. Uh, and Bill Belichick's not above making a trade like that to bolster his team. I think they want to win right now too. They don't want to you know have to deal with a rebuild. But the Titans, even though they have a much harder time with their cap situation. Uh, a play like that, pair him up with AJ Brown, you know, you Oof. should be able to pull the most that you, that you can out of Ryan Tannehill, and hopefully that'll get you over that hump uh, to put more points on the board against a team like Kansas City and, and push you into a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the Titans, when I think about teams that are close and could be impacted to the point with the addition of Julio, of perhaps getting over the chief hump in the AFC, they would be that team. Derrick Henry, by the way, at running back. That wouldn't be a bad thought, would it? Who about 20 minutes ago tweeted out his uh, his thoughts on, on that situation. He's very I much in that. favor of it. <laughs> yeah, Derrick seemed, uh, yeah, he seemed very much, very much a proponent of the idea of Julio Jones moving to Nashville. Um, you always think quarterbacks in situations like this, obviously, when you're talking about a player of, of Julio's stature at the wide receiver position. So Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, yeah, that would be nice. The Niners are interesting. The Niners and the Patriots are interesting in this for me, Jacob, because both those teams, and you said it with the Patriots, Bill Belichick's not interested in a two- or three-year type rebuild. I mean, they still feel like they're playoff relevant at least, even in the post-Tom Brady era. The Niners are built to win right now, but they went quarterback very early in their own right, earlier than even the Patriots. So I guess you could say you could have your cake and eat it too with Julio. You could, you could 
plug him in there and say San Francisco with Jimmy G, assuming Jimmy G is still going to be the guy to start the season. And then if that doesn't work the way you like, then you've got a security blanket for a young quarterback in Trey Lance if you try to go with him. Same thing for Mac Jones in New England. You know, if it doesn't work, if it's just not going to be a tenable situation with Cam, uh, that's a nice guy that, to go along with Hunter Henry at the tight end position who you brought in uh, in the offseason. So you're you're adding some more weapons around that quarterback position, and uh, it either could help you get back to where you want to be in terms of playoff relevancy, or it helps you with perhaps a new quarterback situation and a young quarterback situation at that. 205-342-9904. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line. If you'd like to check in with us in the moments we have left, in today's program, you are more than welcome to do so. It's been a tough one today because, you know, I'm trying to watch this PGA Championship golf on the phone, and I got to do this radio show. It's kind of interrupting things with the golf. But uh, we, we've done our best today. You know, Michelle Smith was a lot of fun having her on, talking some softball earlier, and again, obviously a big, big baseball series at the Joe starting tonight with Mississippi State in Tuscaloosa. So uh, if you like the Diamonds, this is the weekend for you in West Central Alabama. You still have the high school baseball going on. And not just that, you've got the uh, the high school football spring games and jamborees. I believe a big one, Northridge, our Jags taking on ICI. I've always had to kind of correct people on the pronunciation of that one. It's not ACA, it's ICI. You got to get it right. Kind of like Mountain Brook, you know, you got to, and TI, you got to get those right. You know, you'll get corrected on that in Birmingham and in Tuscaloosa, but you've got spring football coming to a head. So uh, we'll have our eyes and ears open for that this weekend as well. And the Atlanta Braves, can they get something going here with the Buccos over the weekend? Ronald Acuna. Many, many times before we've said it on this program, the most club-friendly contract in all of professional sports, Ronald Acuna with the walk-off Homa last night in Atlanta to put the Braves past those first-place New York Mets there at Truist Park. That's going to do it for a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Thanks again to Michelle Smith. Thanks to Jacob Harrison for producing the program. It is a Thursday, so you know what that means for the lunch whistle, right? At Heat Pizza Bar tonight, it is ladies' night, and the feeling is right. Get by Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa. At Government Plaza, the very best pizza you will put in your mouth anywhere. I've been to Gotham. I've been to Chicago. I've been out west. I've had California pizza. I've had Midwestern pizza. Had Southeastern pizza. Heat Pizza Bar, you're not going to beat it. Downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Until 11 a.m. on Friday. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody.
money down. 